thank you, worship team. Yet not I, but Christ in me. We are more than conquerors. Do you realize that? Not because of our own strength. Give Jesus all the glory. It's Christ in me. This morning, I'm glad to be in your presence. Thank you, Trevor. By the way, Trevor, happy birthday. He's... Didn't hear it from me. Didn't hear it from me. Those are milestones in our lives, aren't they? Those days. But they're only numbers. Because actually, we are eternal. And when we close our eyes here for the last time, in Christ, we open our eyes to the glories of heaven and an eternity of singing praises to him. So keep on singing praises. And if you have a birthday this week or last week or somewhere I missed it, happy birthday to you too. You know, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and it has been a a tremendous journey so far. So I'd like to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark 7, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 23. And if some of you don't know, I'm reading in the English Standard Version. It's the ESV. And uh, we're going to start Mark 7, verses 14 through 23. And it says... And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile them, him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his, the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Let's just open in prayer. Father, as we go into your word and study it this morning, our hearts are blessed that you have given us this wonderful collection of uh, your words uh, through prophets, uh, through kings, through priests, uh, through apostles. And we pray today that our hearts would be open uh, to whatever you want to teach us. Spirit of God, if there's something we need to be reminded of, remind us this morning. If there's something that is going to be brand new and fresh to somebody today, bless them. But may we take what we know and hear and put it into action and do for your glory by your power and your strength as Christ lives in us. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure in a room this size, this many people, um, somebody here has got a speeding ticket once in their life. See? Yesterday, oh my goodness. Well, bless you, I, I, I don't know what to say now. But uh, we've all been there, we've all had them. Uh, 
It's what I love is reading some of the excuses people give when they are talking to the officer about the infraction. For example, one lady, when the officer pulled the car over for texting and speeding, uh, the, she told him he was, she wasn't texting, but she was just te- uh, checking out Facebook. Can you imagine? These are real. These are verifiable. It's another officer. Uh, somebody said, I'm sorry, officer, for speeding, but without my glasses, I can hardly see the speedometer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love this one. I was speeding one morning on the way to school and got pulled over. I'm taking it's a teacher. We know those teachers. The police officer said, I have been waiting for you all morning. And I replied, I'm sorry I got here as fast as I could. <laughs> we, all, we all do it, don't we? we as a human nature, uh, we make excuses. And, and this morning, we know that this is nothing new. We make excuses. And that came and started all the way back in creation when Adam said to God after he sinned, well, God, it's because of this woman you gave me. And the woman said to God, it's because of this, this serpent that talks that I sinned. All of us are guilty at times of convincing ourselves that the source of our sin is something outside of us instead of something within us. We make excuses. It's just part of the nature, the old nature. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher, said, as the salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It is so sadly there, so abundantly there, there that if you cannot detect it, you are deceived. He's saying that our very core of who we are, our human nature, is tainted by sin. So, For us, getting real about the true source of our personal sin is absolutely critical. We've got to get this. So I give you a question. How many of us here try to convince ourselves that uh, our sin is because of outward circumstances or the actions of other people? Have we done that once or more times? Yesterday. Yesterday. Yesterday, okay. We have someone in the room who's got lots of stuff going on. And that's all right. In other words, when I say this, sin happens because of situation or how another person acted. And we have to, we have to deal with that. We find it so much easier to try and justify ourselves and our actions or downplay rather than dealing with the real and serious issue or issues in our life. Now, second, I like to make a statement the vast majority of people will attempt to atone for their sin or sins by doing something they believe will earn the good favor of God. So in other words, they start to, they they step into action. I'm going to fix this. I am going to fix this. And thankfully in God's economy, that's not how it works. We eventually discover that we cannot do enough to pay the price for our sin. And I 
And when we discover the real issue being uh, what it is, uh, we are actually glad that it's not about what we do, it's what God has done. God's ways, God's plans are far better than ours, aren't they? It is. It is true. When we settle in on discovering the real issue, the real problem, we find that it is, what is it? Our heart. And of course, I'm going to mention heart quite a bit today. I'm not talking about this physical, uh, um, physical mechanical pumping device that God so brilliantly designed to put in our chest. It's about that core of who we are. And, and when you look in the scriptures and talk, uh, f- discover this issue of the spiritual heart, you see it there a thousand times roughly. Uh, in different versions, you'll see heart up from 800 to 1,000 times the Bible talks about the heart, that spiritual part of us where emotions, desire, and will dwell. It's the source of sin, our sin. And that's where out of the heart manifest actions that are sinful. Don't ever forget this verse. It's a good verse to remember. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You can see throughout the scriptures this truth taught over and over, but this is a wonderful summarization of the truth that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, if you were here last week, uh, you will remember we were in verses 1 through 13, the first portion of this section, and we were able then to watch Jesus pointing out so clearly to those pious, uh, nose-in-the-air religious leaders that uh, they were saying that the heart is not the issue, it's the external was, is the issue, things outside of us. And they were, they were uh, saying that uh, they determined to not deny and reject the authority of God by rejecting the word of God. And he's saying, no, it's what happens outside of us. And Jesus was saying, well, let me read it. Look at verse 9. I love this verse. And he said, you have a fine way. Isn't that a, a, a nice way to dig it a bit? You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your traditions. It says, your external stuff is what you're all about. And uh, that's a fine way of rejecting the word of God, the commandments of God. When we reject the commandments of God, the word of God, his instructions, we reject also his remedy for a thorough spiritual cleansing of our hearts. Reject the word, reject what would help us to have a clean heart. Even greater, if we reject God's word, we ultimately reject Jesus, who is the actual ultimate remedy for all that ails us. Receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior is where a new life begins. But we find ourselves always wanting to grab on to the external things. We think if we can do something, That'll make God happy. And God says, don't do anything. 
let me give you a new heart. So in today's passage, verses 14 to 23, we now see that Jesus, who was speaking to the scribes and Pharisees, turn. He, he, he moves away from these religious elite, and he turns to the people that were surrounding, and he starts to teach something that is dramatically new from what these religious elite were teaching. He's saying and making it so clear that the source of our sin is the corruption of our hearts. And there's nothing we can do to make ourselves clean. As a matter of fact, this is not just Old Testament teaching and truth. Paul starts to reiterate it and the apostles reiterate it various ways in the New Testament. But I chose uh, Romans 3, 10 to 12, where it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Interesting, because I think we all know some people who try to do good things, but even the good things that we do, if they are not um, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they are in our own strength and therefore sinful. A, that one would take a little bit to think about and to ponder on, but that's the truth. And by the way, Romans 3 is Paul um, uh, quoting out of Psalm 14, 1 to 3. Jesus wants us to use this encounter with the the religious elite, and the people to clarify a most important truth about the source and the depth of outward defilement and the rootedness of it in our hearts. By the way, what is defilement? I guess it's most important for us to figure out what defilement really means. It is the state of being impure, dishonored, or desecrated. Impure, Dishonored or desecrated. We would say it in another term, being unholy before a holy God. Sin defiles a person before God. And the heart is the fertile ground where sin is rooted. It's where, as I said, um, the heart produces both the ungodly attempt to be good enough through religious traditions and legalism, and the uncensored and unbridled acts of sin that we find ourselves so trapped in. By the way, every one of us, this world, is not merely tainted with the pollution of sin. We are saturated by it. Get that? Follow that? Sin doesn't just sort of get on the skin and, 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 and it's there and we're tainted by it. Our heart is totally saturated by it. This is the battle that Jesus is trying to describe to the Pharisees and the, the scribes who want to say it's an external thing, but Jesus says it's not about external, it's about the internal cleansing a saturated heart. Even James and Peter and Paul have much to say about it. I, I chose three verses just to sort of jog your mind. James 4, 
Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? That's what's happening within everyone. Passions, that sinful life, war within. Paul, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my many members. And Peter, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from passions of the flesh which war against your soul. It's deep within us in the heart, that place that our mind, emotions, and will creates who we really are that we have to be mindful of. And again, there's nothing we can do to fix our heart. We, we can't escape sin that is deep within us, but there's hope. Let me stop you right there, because I made a big statement, didn't I? It's like everybody, everyone in this room would get up and say, with no hope, let's just walk out of here and go and do whatever we want to do. There is hope. We need a new heart, don't we? Isn't that what we're looking for? If our heart is at issue, we need a new heart. Would you turn in your Bibles, and this will be fun, Ezekiel. When was the last time you were in Ezekiel? Ezekiel? Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It begins in the Old Testament, and I just chose this one, this, this verse, because it speaks to the truth that is permeating both Old and New Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Does that not sound familiar to us as New Testament believers? And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's his word, God's word. And be careful to obey my rules. And he'll give you the ability and strength and all that you need to obey his word. Isn't that exciting, church? That we need a new heart because the old one really stinks. And God says, don't worry, I've got you covered. I'm going to give you a new heart. So trying to escape this world uh, and, and, and and, and be sin-free like a monk who would go into a cave, that's not going to help you because you carry the problem with you when you go into the cave. Trying to be good like many philanthropic people who try to do good. Some of, some of us try to do good, and we do it in Jesus' name, wonderful, but sometimes we do it in our own strength. That won't work. Uh, it won't work at appeasing God's holiness and his holy wrath. We need a new heart. So as we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23, we see Jesus turning from the religious people to the, the, the group and the crowd, and he delivers to them one of the most important truths they're ever going to need to learn about eternal life. Every one of us, this truth, this is it, every one of us is born with a deviled heart, an evil heart. This is what brings eternal separation from God and spiritual death. But as I said, there's hope. Do you see how in uh, the first verse there, verse of uh, this section, verse uh, 14, let me get back there. It says, 
Hear me, all of you, and understand. Hear me, all of you, and understand. Uh, It's a common way that uh, Jesus often spoke when he wanted to really nail something down. It really means listen carefully, pay attention to my words. What I'm about to say has significant spiritual importance to you, to your life. Your life actually depends on hearing and believing this truth. And he uses the word understand, which means not hard to comprehend, but difficult to accept. There are some many things in the scripture that we get it, we hear it. It's not hard to understand, but it's hard for us to accept it because it requires us to surrender another part of our lives to God. And that's what he's saying here. This is not going to be hard for you to understand, but will be difficult to accept. And he says this, verse 15, Mark 7. There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Pretty graphic. In in, in a spiritual way, it's, it's what come out of us what defile us. The Pharisees believe that if you went to the marketplace, for example, and <clears throat> you touched something that was defiled, then you were defiled. You'd have to go home, wash your hands, do some uh, spiritual stuff that would cleanse you from that touch. Not only that, they believed if you ate certain foods that were classified as unclean, you'd be defiled spiritually and you'd have to go through the whole process of getting spiritually clean. If you touched a dead body, if you offered, uh, ate food that was offered to idols, if you went near lepers, remember the lepers that we've uh, taught about? You'd be defiled. If you entered a Gentile home, defiled. From the Pharisees' perspective, again, it's everything external, outside. That's where the sin would enter in. Jesus, though, in a point-blank and graphic method, corrects their understanding by saying clearly, verse 15, there's nothing outside a person that by going into him will defile him. Now, you're probably sitting there, you Bible scholars, I know you are, because I had to think about this. In the Old Testament, we see God telling Moses and the priests that there were things that the priests would be defiled over. And so is this a contradiction of what God has already said? Well, I think that in the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus, that wonderful book that you love to read, and Numbers, another one, Deuteronomy. Uh, These um, identified clean and unclean animals and some of the other rules about purification. These external actions were meant as symbols to remind people of their need for spiritual cleansing. The priests were examples, and so they were used as symbols to tell the people about keeping spiritually clean. As a matter of fact, turn to Hebrews, Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Look at what it says here. We could spend a lot of time here. I just want to get one word in here. For since the law has but a shadow 
shadow. Ooh, that's an interesting word. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. So they go through all these things, but it can't make perfect. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleaned, uh, have, uh, uh, since the worshipers... Uh, where did I, I lost my place. Uh, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Verse 3. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So the Hebrew system was all about offerings for, our, for their sins. And every year, people would offer bulls and goats and animals for God to cover their sins and forgive them. But it didn't take away. It just covered their sins. But I love this word for since the law, verse 1, has but a shadow. These things served as a shadow or an example. They, they, they were to point us forward to the point when Christ would come and he would do away with all these offerings and be the once and for all offering for our sins. And no longer would we just be covered, we are covered by the blood, but we'd be cleansed perfectly by Christ's offering. That's why it's so important that people not just know about Jesus, but they receive him. And God will move your heart. If he's called you to be amongst those who are to be followers of Christ, he is going to be the one who gives you the faith and the call to be cleansed. So that is, Jesus moves into this private house and his disciples are trying to understand this little parable in verse 17. He says, verse, he gives us verse 18. Do you not see? Guys, you're not getting this. I know it's hard to comprehend. Do you not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile you? You know, in other words, right here now, he is putting aside the Mosaic dietary law. They didn't really get it at this point. It wasn't until Peter had to be taught this in a personal way. But that's all going. He says, don't you, do you not see whatever goes into a person, verse 18b, from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled. Now that's a graphic picture right there. See, the stomach is a non-moral agent of who we are. Whereas our heart, that spiritual uh, core of who we are, the heart is the command center of our lives. The part of us that thinks, that wills, uh, has affection, feeling, plans, and desires, and the like. The heart is the spirit, mind, and will of the human being. It's where you and I make decisions. That part of your heart needs to be radically transformed. The whole heart needs to be radically transformed. You can't get away from its corruption. It is corrupt. We were born with sin. Passed down family to family. 
and it became evident very quickly. If you have, remember your babies when they immediately said, no, I, you want me to do this? I don't want to do that. That sin nature started to well up and become very evident. It is at the heart level we either determine to fight God or serve God. Where are you at today? You may be here hearing a message from God's word, but somehow you're still fighting God. You know that there's some surrendering that needs to happen. It's at the heart that we either fight God or we surrender to God and serve him. That's why, as we mentioned last week, it's so important to be daily mindful of the state and the condition of our heart. Here's a verse for you to remember. Verse for you to let it sink into your heart. Proverbs 4, 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Some of your version says, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Remember what God said to Israel when he gave the Ten Commandments for the second time? God had first given the commandments and, and Moses came down to what? A party. <laughs> it was uh, a golden calf party. And Moses sinned and broke the tablets, but God forgave. Moses went back up the mountain, spent another bunch of days with, with God. God created another tablet of the, the Ten Commandments those very key um, guidelines, rules, laws for the people of Israel. And he said this in Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Don't let's, let's not go by that too quickly. The word of God, the statutes of the Lord for which I am commanding you today for your good. Then he says something interesting. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no, no longer stubborn. I found that to be an interesting phrase. I've read it before, but thought today, how does that, what does that mean for us? What is the circumcision of the heart? And it really means to have a pure heart separated unto God. We come to faith in Christ, some of us very young. We know Jesus has died for us and we love him and we receive him. But as we grow in our walk with Jesus, we learn more and more that our heart is the key issue at hand. And we need to have the circumcision of our heart, which is to say, this world is not my home. I separate myself mentally, and sometimes even physically, emotionally, and with my will being determined to love, honor, and obey God's word. That's what a circumcised heart for God is. If you're looking at it later on, Romans chapter 2, 29 talks about this. It's very, very good. So Jesus concludes his explanation by saying what comes out of a person defiles him. And the only way I could look at this is a graphic word. 
which he's saying here, our heart is a cesspool. Have you ever seen like a, a body of water that garbage has sort of just added up and it's murky and dark and disgusting and you'd never want to step into it, swim in it, never want to drink that water. Why? It's a cesspool. And if I'm feeling like I'm overemphasizing this, I am not because I'm looking at my heart. I know my heart. And without the spirit of God at work in my heart, it is a cesspool. But because he gave me a new heart, it's a great place. God has given me a heart that is growing in love for him, is, is thinking and acting in a way that brings him glory more and more. Then, now we're not going to look at it today because we have to spend a lot more time here, but I want to I move into communion with these thoughts, thinking about our heart change. He goes in verse Mark chapter 7 through a list. Uh, quite a list, 12 items, 12 items that really describe what happens in a heart that has not been changed or is not under the control of the Holy Spirit. Look at the last few verses there. What comes out of a person, verse 20 at the end there, is what defiles him. For from within our heart, uh, from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things, evil things, come from within and they defile a person. There are 12 items there for you to contemplate. You'll notice that the first six are in the plural, and really, uh, they're talking about acts, actual physical acts, where the second six are in the singular, and they refer to attitudes behind the acts. But it's quite a list. Uh, and he gives a list because the rabbis love lists. The rabbis love to build these elaborate lists and sort of put people's feet to the fire on them. Jesus gives us a simple list to basically offer an example of a sinful heart. With all of this in mind, let's sort of bring it to a conclusion. Today we've been reminded or taught for maybe the first time that as believers it is our heart, our hearts that need to be protected, guarded. Let me remind you that Christ in him, as we sang, we are a new creation. Ezekiel tells us the truth that Christ came to, to make real. But I'll give you a, a New Testament verse as well, just to help you sort of tie Old and New Testament together. Paul said it so well in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Are you in Christ? If you are, you are a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And so with that in mind, let's get practical. How do we guard our hearts? 
How do we, and by the way, when it says guard your heart or watch over your heart, the word comes from a military term that speaks of a tower with watchtowers on it. And it says, make sure those towers are manned. They're, they're there to watch out for the enemy. So set a watch over your heart. What, who or what would be worthy to be a watchman to protect, to guard our heart? What, what's the situation that will make that happen? And I couldn't get Psalm 119.9 out of my head. A wonderful psalm. All about God's word. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Now, doesn't that tie together? What do we put over our hearts to protect it, to guard it, to watch over it? God's word always gives the answer. And here in Psalm 119.9, it says, by guarding it according to your word. It's not the only place. In, in other terms, in Proverbs 2, 6 to 8, it says, for the Lord gives wisdom. Where is his wisdom found, by the way? In his word. From his mouth. Where did his word come from? He spoke his word. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. So what does this mean for us? If the word of God is crucial in keeping watch over our hearts, then let me ask you the following questions as we seek the Lord for his spirit's help in aligning our hearts with his word. If the word of God is so critical to keep watch over our hearts, what are some questions we need to ask ourselves? Have you asked God for and received that new heart that we talked about? How do you do that? You come before God and say, I've got a wretched, dirty, despicable cesspool of a heart. And I know I can't do anything, Lord, so would you cleanse me? Would you give me a new heart? And I am trusting Jesus for it. Guess what? God will give you that. If that, if that prayer for a new heart comes out of sincerity, God won't, he won't let you down. But if you're already there, you've given your yourself to Christ and he's given you that in our heart, new heart. Here's another question. Are you actively setting the word of God as a watchman over your soul by reading it and hearing it and uh, even coming in uh, to a church on Sunday, a local church, hearing it preached? Are you doing that? Are you actively, in, not just reading a couple verses and going, oh, that was nice, but taking time in your week to, to study it. Maybe you get a little book uh, that's a study guide that takes you through word study or b a whole uh, book studies like we're going through that helps you to go beyond the surface and get into God's word. And as, it, as you get into God's word, it gets into you. You believe that? I do. I've experienced it for some 40-some years more. I forget how old I am now. Yeah, 46 years. That's not how old I am. I'm much younger. And third question, 
Are you filtering your circumstances, decisions, thoughts, and responses through what God's word says? In other words, are you living your lives in light of the truth of God's word? Or are you just going about your days making decisions, doing this and that, without even contemplating what God would have you do? Is God's word and the light of his word guiding you? course, a whole other, are you prayerfully seeking the Lord, trusting the one who gave you a new heart? Do you have a good relationship with God that you're talking to him on a regular daily basis as a son or daughter would to their father? And lastly, are you trying to guard your heart in your own strength or acknowledging, or are you acknowledging your own weaknesses and trusting the all-sufficient one to be your defender? Can't do it in our own strength. Remember that. I can tell you that from personal experience. It needs to be surrendered to him. Remember, we started talking today about excuses. We all make them. It's it's what the religious mind would want us to do. Oh, you know, that's the excuse. Or he or she is an excuse. I can't do this because of them. We need to understand that it's not about the external, it's about the internal, it's about the heart. And we need that new heart. And I'm so thankful to tell you this morning again, and I'll tell, I'll tell it over and over, Jesus will give you that new heart if you haven't got it. So lastly, we can truly say that an undefiled life, a holy life before God, is a matter of the heart. Let's pray. Lord, we are indeed thankful for today and to be in your word and to to learn or maybe reminded of the truth that our heart is really at the core of all of our life and its issues, both good and bad. We pray that you would give each one of us today a refreshed mindset to guard our hearts and to surrender our hearts to you which is difficult, Lord, because our nature wants to hold on to our lives and to hold on to doing things. And we pray today that you will help us to put our trust in Jesus, to put our trust in you, and to seek the Spirit's strength as we serve you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, What a great passage of scripture then to move into uh, a time of remembering Christ and what he's done. We come this morning uh, and we do this regularly because God's words commanded us to do it regularly. And it's it's a matter of the heart. Uh, God's word says, one, believe and be baptized. And two, remember what Jesus has done for us. Let your hearts contemplate the enormous um, sacrifice that God came from heaven, took on human flesh, and died in our place. We should have been on that cross. And Jesus took those nails and paid the price for us so that we can have a new heart, a clean and cleansed heart. Paul reminds us in 
1 Corinthians 11, he says, But in following instructions, I do, not, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. See, they were coming together to have a, a meal, but the meal was a party. It, it, it was meant for those who had money and had food. And he says, I, I don't commend you in that. But he goes on to say, For I received, verse 23 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night betrayed, when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. For you. Don't, don't pass over that. He did what he did on the cross, took the pain, bled and died for you, for me. I often say, you've heard me say it, I believe that Jesus, the God of heaven, had my name on his mind and on his heart when he died on that cross. He died for us. He was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, did everybody get a little cup of juice and bread? If you haven't, it's okay. There are still more at the back. Uh, there are uh, some on the sides here, one there. Okay, we need one. Michelle, could you bring some up here? We're missing the, the side tray. Up top there? Okay. Oh, there it is. My, my team stole it. There it is. Good. Anybody else? So important. We have right here in the front as well, Michelle. Right here in the front. And at the front here. Don't go away. It's all right. Good. Team members up front here, Michelle. Anybody else here? You good? So we're going to take, first of all, some bread. And just take a little from this loaf. Just, this is a little loaf of bread. And taking this bread does not save me. I come to this moment already with a new heart because of what Christ has done, what Jesus has done. I give him all the glory. And I look at this bread and say, this bread symbolizes his broken body for me. And so in obedience with love, I ask you to take your bread and eat it in remembrance of him. And the same, after supper, they took a cup, some, some juice in those cups that you have there that remind us of the shed blood of our Savior Jesus. He let his blood pour out 
so that we might have that cleansed new heart. And so, together, let's remember what he's done for us as we drink from the cup. Father, we are so thankful that together, as a family, with this group called the Bridge Church, we are just remembering the wonderful sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ, your Son. We pray that it will be meaningful to each one of us. It reminds us of what has already been done, that we've been given a new heart. And I pray again, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not yet received a new heart, today would be that day. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.